the things we all carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around the subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome back to the things we all carry. Today is Tuesday, uh, February something. I don't know what it is. You know, we're on shift work. We don't know dates around here. Looks like it's February 6th. And uh, it's been a hell of a week. It's been a hell of a couple of weeks for me around here. Uh, I've been busy doing doing show stuff, doing some personal stuff and, and trying to get things settled. Um, and I guess it's, it's kind of time to make it a, a huge announcement. And I've kind of been hinting at it throughout these intros and, and some of the other things I've posted and some questions I've asked. And I, uh, I made a big decision and I sent in some paperwork to the state and well, excuse me, the Commonwealth in Virginia. And, and I sent in my paperwork to, uh, apply for retirement service retirement. Um, it's bittersweet. I tell you this, I love this job. I can still do this job, but I can't do this job to the ability that I set for myself, to, to the standard I set for myself. And, and my body and my soul, my mind aren't allowing me to do that. Um, I'm, I, I don't recover well in between shifts. I don't recover well between tours. And uh, it's just, uh, it's my age. It's, I hate to say it. I hate to admit it, but God damn it. Sometimes I just feel old. I started this job at 44 and I've been in for going on 11 years now. And to be a truck firefighter at 55 is, uh, it's a special thing. And I'm honored to be able to do it. I'm honored that I'm on this, this truck, I'm on this crew and I'm honored that I'm doing this job. But I also know that I don't want to do it to a different standard. I want to do it to my standard. I don't want, uh, I don't want someone to come to me and go, you're a hell of a firefighter for your age. I just want to be a firefighter, a good firefighter, a hell of a firefighter, whatever it is. I don't want it to be with the qualifier for your age. And lately, I think that's where I am. Uh, it's tough. It, it, it's tough to get up every, every shift and, and go face the day and, and, and uh, get this body to recover. And, you know, you add in some calls at night and you add in whatever it is, you, the, the various wake-up times and, and, you know, the disrupted sleep. And, and it, it just wreaks havoc on, on a young body, let alone a, a body that's been through it. So I, th- I sent in my paperwork. I kind of did it blindly because I knew it was time. You know, sometimes they say, uh, if you don't make that first step, you're, you're never going to take it. And, and I, that's where I'm, I am. Uh, if I didn't do it now, I didn't know when I was going to do it. And I have to keep convincing myself that it's right. It hurts. It, uh, every time I tell someone, I get emotional about it. And it's tough to come to grips with sometimes. I don't want to lose a family and it's kind of, I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm losing a family, but I know it's the right thing to do. I know that I'm on to maybe bigger and better things, different things, a new adventure. And it's something that I'm ready for. It's something that, uh, is going to be one hell of a ride. And I keep saying it, you guys are going to be along for a ride. Yeah. So this ride is, uh, it's the great unknown for me. I, uh, it's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith and it's a gamble on myself. And that's kind of scary. 
you know, I, I, the one thing I worry about is, and I, I was asked the other day, what are the two things that, uh, that kind of worry me about this? And, and one that I'm going to lose connections and friendships, but also that I'm going to fucking fail. I, uh, I worry that I'm biting off more than I can chew, but I have to do this. This is a decision that's been a long time in the coming. You know, it's been one hell of a year. Uh, I, this just caps off a long 365 days after a few long years. So, in a, in a weird way, my mom's death kind of allows me to, to push forward and make a new path and, and create a new adventure. Ten years ago, when I started this journey in the fire department, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was ignorant. I was, I, was, uh, I was brand new to it all, and I had no idea what to expect, and that itself was a leap of faith. I changed, I changed careers and I changed paths at a, at a time where people were saying I was crazy to do it. Well, I might've been, admittedly, I might've been a little crazy to do it, but it turned out to be one of the best things I've ever done. Now, it also turned out to have some of the worst things I've ever done. You know, there was, there were some things that I've experienced that I, I could do without experiencing, but I'm, I'm happy I did this job. I'm happy that I chose the path I took. And now it's time to change that path. It's time to jump off this train it's time to take charge of my life for a while. Um, like I said before, I'm going to cut a path. I'm going to forge a new direction. I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to do a few other things that are all going to be related. And I, I kind of just, I'm excited. I, um, there's a great deal of trepidation. There's some worry, but I'm very excited to, uh, to kind of cut free, to be, to be free from it and to, uh, start to, heal this body and heal this mind and heal my soul and, and help others on the, on the way to doing that, you know, uh, bring these stories to you every week or, or bring new things to you, um, bring some counseling, maybe some mentoring, some peer support, but I have some ideas and I hope that you stay tuned for it. Friend of mine and uh coworker, and I guess you could say ladder, ladder truck, uh, driver extraordinaire. And he goes by the, uh, the unofficial title of Ladder Daddy, has been asking me a few questions every, well, he's asked me a question for each day of the week. And so we're up to question six and, and they've been, they've been really good questions. They've been introspective for me and I've had to sit and, and, and think about them for a few and take some time with them. And, uh, I think what I'm going to do is, and I don't know why he's doing it. I'm, I'm, I don't know if he's doing it for him or more for me, but I, I've appreciated every second of it. And it's created some dialogue and some thought for me. And it's been, it's been kind of enjoyable to, to take those questions, think about them and produce some answers. And I think what I'll do is I'll share some of those questions with you when it comes time. And uh, maybe you can take those questions and you can apply them to your own life, career, whatever it is, and see where you're at. Just check in with yourself and see, see if, if everything is the way you thought it was. Or are there things you want to improve? Are there things you've done that you're, that you're immensely proud of? Um, I don't know where the next few weeks are going to take me. They're going to take me to a very emotional spot at times. I know that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to say goodbye. And as corny as it sounds, I don't want it to be goodbye. I, I, I want to stay in touch with everyone that I've, uh, that I've worked with or, or become friends with or become family with. I, 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 I need those people in my life. So I don't want to say goodbye. The only thing I'm saying goodbye to is a fire career. And I'm still emotional about it. 
I, um, I ran into a good friend of mine on the fire ground the other day and I had to tell him, I, uh, I owe it to some people to tell them, you know, face to face or on the phone. And, uh, he was trying to ask me questions and I felt like a jackass cause I was like, I can't answer the questions right now, buddy. I, I, I gotta walk away because, uh, you know, and to paraphrase, paraphrase Tom Hanks from A League of Their Own, it, there's, there's no crying in firefighting, right? And we all know that's bullshit. There's crying in firefighting. If you're dealing with emotions the right way, there's going to be some crying. And I'm, and I'm not too proud to say that I, I've cried a few times over this decision. So I hope that you stick with me. I hope you take this ride with me. I hope you listen and, and, and hear what I say. Kind of maybe you know, live vicariously through my experience a little bit. And I would love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts about everything. Uh, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, let's hear it. I, I'm, I'm here for it. I would, I love the conversation and um, I can't wait to continue what I'm doing here and adding some new adventures in, in this, uh, in this world of mine, this life of mine and moving forward and seeing what the hell the world has in store for me next. So that being said, welcome to episode 103 of the things we all carry. This is a good episode for me. I, uh, and you'll, you'll notice in, in, in this episode, I, you'll hear some, you hear where my thoughts were. And this was way back in the early part of December. Um, I had a good friend of mine. He's, he used to run in the same department as me. And, and he was, he was my dude to go to concerts with. He, uh, you know, we would hit each other up and say, where are we going next? And, and we'd, we'd go to a different city. We'd see a different show and, and we'd hang out and we'd get drinks or we'd get dinner. And we'd, we'd, we'd just, it was, it, was, uh, it was cool to have somebody that was, was like that. You know, I've had a couple of people like that in my life and, and I've, I've, I've appreciated each and every one of them. But Mark is one of those guys that just, um, he is himself. He is such the individual in a world that demands you be anything but. He started in Ohio, moved to Virginia, and has gone back to Ohio. He's, he, uh, he spent 12 plus years in Prince William County with me as a firefighter medic. He, uh, he decided this was not the spot for him and he needed to move on. He has, uh, he has quite the life story. His, his trauma started very early. He was a toddler when he was burned over a large part of his body. And that's affected everything he's done in life, kind of, it, either positively and negatively. And he'll talk about it. He, uh, he talks about how he uses it. He used it for his advantage and he lear- used it to learn, but he also went through some, some painful times with it. Mark came back to visit and he made an East Coast tour, as he says, came back to visit some friends. And I was honored to be on that list. And we sat down together face to face and we had a conversation. And that's what this is. This episode is more of a conversation than anything. And, uh, I hope you find it as informative and entertaining as I did. I can talk to this guy forever and, and I can tell you what he, he can talk your ear off and, and I love it. Um, he's, uh, he's recently getting back into the fire service and I'm happy to hear that because he has a passion for it and he, he's got some, he's got some experience and a lot to offer young people coming up in the fire department and to bear with me. This, uh, this recording or excuse me, this episode starts with a, a piece that's going to seem a little out of place, but we, we got so caught up in our conversation that, uh, 
Mark forgot to cover something he wanted to cover in the body of the of the interview, and so we had to come back and and record and basically an addendum to the to the episode, and that's what that is. You'll hear it right at the beginning. He talks about his experience and how he he uh, made an impact because of the trauma he went through as a kid with the burns. So he made an impact on the call, and it's something that he's proud of, and I think he should be. It's it was unorthodox, which quite honestly, a lot of what Mark does is unorthodox, and I appreciate it. And uh, he took advantage of a situation, and and he used himself in his, as an example, and he tried to calm a patient down who was going through some similar injuries. Agree or disagree with what he did or how he did it, it doesn't fucking matter to me. I think he did the right thing, and I think he he uh, he helped that patient with the with the ultimate outcome of of the treatment. So after that addendum piece, we'll get right into his episode. It's a weird start to an episode, but bear with me. So you guys stay tuned, take a listen, let me know what you think. This is uh, Mark Belanda, episode one hundred three, and I hope you enjoy. You guys get out there, do something for yourself today. To go back what I said earlier about, you know, wanting to get in this service and line of work to to give back to the people that, you know, were there for me the day I got burned as a kid. Um, I got to have that moment and I, I'd like to do that more, you know. Um, but there was a kid out of Quantico he, or off base right around there, but he was a Marine, 20, 20, 21 year old kid, you know, worried about you know, his looks maybe, you know, and we get called for a burn. He had a small apartment. It blew. He was cooking on the stove and the can of Pam next to the stove blew up. It was, it definitely blew up. It was, there's shrapnel from it and the can around the little apartment. It blew the window out of the apartment. And so we get there and he's got a tank top on and he looks like Two-Face because he's got burns to one half of his uh face arm and he was freaking out that you know i'm burned i'm gonna this hurts i mean i'm sure it did hurt but uh we gave him pain meds too but um he was freaking out like i'm gonna be scarred forever and so i told him like hey you don't have those kind of scar uh, burns like this is gonna be a bad sunburn in a couple days and things will be back to normal and it appeased them for a second or two and then he'd ramp back up and be like i'm gonna have these scars forever you know my girlfriend's not gonna want to look at me just different versions of the same conversation that i said i'm trained in this i've seen pictures and some of the stuff firsthand that i know you're gonna be good you know we're gonna get you the help and get you the right place um, and we were driving from Quantico up route one at rush hour and they weren't flying. So it was an hour transport time. Um, and then he really gets freaked out and he's like, I, dude, you got to help me. I don't know what I'm going to do with all these scars and everything. And he looked at me like sincerely, he goes like, what makes you so confident that I don't have these type of scars or I'm going to. And I finally, and then, you know, I, I lifted up my shirt, which my whole chest and upper arms is skin grafts. And he got my, my intention. I just wanted him to be in a happier mindset and place. 
but he got so quiet and he's like, I'm, I'm sorry. And, uh, like he believed what I was saying now. And that was the proof, you know, and he was content as someone uncomfortable who just got burned can be, you know, he had a better attitude about it all and was in a better place. Um, so we cleared the hospital and we got a long drive back and the medic I was working with, he goes, Blanda, you know, you're the only person in this department that could have done that. And that was amazing to witness. And I, I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he, uh, he's like, no one has those scars. No one could calm that guy down by having the proof firsthand. And I started tearing up and, you know, crying on all the way back to the, the fire department, you know, of the station. And then I called my parents later on and then we're all crying together. Cause like, not to be cocky, but it just, I, and I'm not even religious or, you know, what, but little things like that, like I was there that day for that guy and I'd like to do that more, you know? It definitely, I'm not going to say it makes it worth it, but it, it definitely, it fulfills some sense of a purpose for what you went through. Yeah. Um, to call it a purpose to go through that, but yeah. Well, but you know what I'm saying? It, it, it is something we, 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 we often talk about it, and we've said it a few times before we recorded and in, in, in the show that good, bad, or indifferent, that's a good that you found through a bad that you experienced. Oh, absolutely. So that's what I kind of mean, but that's where the purpose part comes from for me is okay. Yeah. I went through that. That sucked. But now I'm able to use that to, to buffer someone else's reaction to something. Mm hmm. And to, to kind of, now that guy had a little bit different reaction to what you were thinking. He thought it would kind of put him at ease and he felt a little, uh, he, he, he felt a little bad because he, he didn't have it the way you had it when you were a child is what I'm assuming when he got quiet and apologized and you weren't trying to one up him, but you were just trying to say, Hey, even if you do have these scars, you can do what you want to do. No, I, I do think he was put more at ease. I thought he was kind of surprised and apologizing more for him, I don't know, maybe carry on about it, you know, more so than my experience. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think that in the moment he can be forgiven for carrying on about it because you're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. And he just did have something explode on his chest and, and arm. So, of course, oh, yeah. Gonna, yeah, of course, you can react a little bit to it. So, all right. Well, if you're ready, let's do it. Sure. All right. Welcome back to the things we all carry. This morning, I'm sitting down with a good friend of mine. And you guys have heard me mention him in uh, an intro before, and his name was Mark. He is from Ohio by way of Virginia, by way of originally by way of Ohio. So that'll confuse you a little bit. Uh, he used to work with me in the department I'm in now, and he made a decision that we'll get into later in the show where he, he decided he wanted something a little better for what fit his life and his lifestyle. And so he moved back home to Ohio. Um, but for now, we'll just talk about where he came from and, and uh, how he got to Virginia and how he got back to Ohio. So, Mark, good morning. How are you? And and uh, tell me about your speeding ticket. <laughs> uh, besides the speeding ticket, I'm doing pretty good. I, I took a week off to just go reconnect and visit friends from Virginia and some folks that used to work here that moved around. So I'm doing a little East Coast tour, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, but 
it's a good place to be when you can just go around and catch up with your friends. So what part of PA are you heading to? Uh, I just came from Hershey. Okay. All right. And then, um, New Jersey is going to be Bridgewater. Mm. All right. Graham, Graham Clark, an old buddy of mine and you met him too, but yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I got pulled over and life of sin by Sergio Simpson was playing, which is golden, but yeah, well, that kind of takes care of the next question. What was what was the last song you heard? I'm sure that wasn't the last one because you had a little bit of a drive left, but. No, the last one, and I think it's kind of fun, is uh, Happy Reunion by Coulter Wall. Oh, yeah. Which is just cool because I get to hang out with you. So. Yeah. Well, that was apropos. Uh-huh. So that's perfect. So tell me just where'd you grow up? Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? What was family life like? Mom and dad in the house or were they divorced or what? what was the deal? Uh, I grew up in a... Suburb of Cleveland, blue collar town. Dad worked on cars for a living, still does as much as he can. Uh, my parents are together. I was raised with my brother. He's three years older than me. Um, we have closer when he went, he left for the military. And when we lived together, we, we were just fighting all the time. But after that, you know, we're pretty close now. And all my family's in Northeast Ohio, besides him traveling with the air force but um family's always been everyone's there for all the holidays all the birthdays you know that's an important unit that's been a good healthy thing for my life so family life was pretty solid and blue collar your brother joined the military how well he was he older than you yeah about three years old okay and you um this is kind of one of those stories where we kind of have to intertwine because you, you can go on and talk about how you grew up and where you grew up, but what happened to you at a young age affected how you grew up. So do you want to share, you know, that story of, of that, that age of what it was, you said two, two and a half years old, correct? When yeah. it happened. So why don't you go ahead and, and kind of get into that and ex- kind of explain from your point of view, what you've been told, how it's been recreated for you, what happened and, and how you kind of started to deal with that as you progressed through life. I, uh, so when I was two and a half, I was being a kid. I climbed on everything. I still do. I, I would pull the pot of coffee down on myself, climbing on the counter. I had a sweatshirt on. Um, uh, my mom was in the shower at the time and my dad worked, you know, so, uh, the coffee burned 90% of my body. I had a sweatshirt on, which soaked all the hot water coffee into my chest and upper arms. Uh, I was life-flighted to Metro, which is Cleveland's level one trauma burn center. I was there for a month to get in debridement, new garments, skin grafts. Um, And then uh, sometime after that, you know, being a blue-collar family, you can't afford all those bills, medical bills. um, It's expensive. Um, Someone guided us to the Shriners, which is a... great pediatric orthopedic and burn research and charity hospital where they would drive my family to Cincinnati, which is five hours from where I lived. Um, and every so many years I would get skin grafts on my, near my shoulder where you grow into it. Cause I was lose range of motion. So I was regularly in and out of school, showing up to school with the oddest bandages, you know, arm up in a sling. Um, you know, when you go to 
the pool when you're a kid and you wear a shirt, you know, I was, I was chubby at different points in life, but when you wear a shirt and people are making fun of you, you're like, oh, you're not fat. You know, what's wrong with you? You know, kids are assholes and they don't know, you know, entirely what they're doing. But when you're different, you know, and you know, i I fly that flag well of the Island of Misfits toys, but you find that at a young age and you try to find, everyone tries people, try to find people that's relatable. Um, but I would go, you know, work with the Shriners sometimes and they would have me, uh, well, when I would go to the hospital alone, you would see a kid with a burn on his face. Um, even if it only covered, you know, a fistful size of space, he had to show that to the world every day. And I feel like I'm not trying to compare and compete, but like, that's way worse. I can hide my burns under a t-shirt, you know, most days. Um, yeah, but when you sit in a room and you talk to, talk to these people and you can look back and say, you know what, me too. I understand what you're going through. I understand why you feel different in every room, whether you open your mouth and introduce yourself or showed anything at all. You just, you walk around feeling different. And when you're a kid, that's definitely a, a different place to be. Um, but then also it was the first responders that saved my life. You know, it was doing what we do. That is the reason why I'm here. And that's kind of why I want to, when I grew up, I wanted to be a fireman or a nurse or something in that field to give back. So luckily you don't remember much of that accident, correct? No, I'd, uh, I'd be more fucked up than I already am probably. But you remember, you remember like you talked about the, the kind of, that kind of teasing as a kid. Cause, cause like, as you said, and it's obvious, we all know it, kids are assholes. Kids say what's, what are, what's on their mind and, and they don't have a filter most of the time. And, and when it's to other kids who are dealing with something, it's, it can seem pretty, pretty goddamn harsh. How often were you going in again for, for the graphs? Like every two years I'd, uh, go get a new surgery cause I would grow into my skin. So I was, you know, out of the loop for another three, three months with that. Um, so it's a three months every, every two years, basically two or three years. Cause you're down in the hospital for two or three weeks and then you have to do physical therapy and homeschool and try to get yourself back to be up to speed to go back to school when you are. So it was definitely a big reflex time. Maybe not as long, but it was a chunk of time. All right. So every, every two to three years, you, you're out for three months. You're coming back with quite obviously you had something done. Mm -hmm. Um, how does it affect you as, as just a person and not just as a kid hanging out in school or summertime with the shirt during the kid to pool. But as, as a person, what, what are you thinking about yourself? Is it, is it affect you or is it, or is it building you up? Um, I mean, it, it did both at different times in life. When I was younger, it affected me. You know, I, you don't have the confidence or, you know, whatever. When you first started dating and a girl's gonna like, you know, see her with your shirt off and you're getting stressed over that, you know, um, now I don't care at all now i you know wear that scar proudly you know it's helped me 
get to places I've been. It's helped me be the person I am. Um, I think it definitely gives you a chip on the shoulder when you walk into rooms, you know, you gotta, disregard your prejudices from assuming people are going to be in a certain way because of um, the chip on your shoulder because you feel different. So you think you're going to have a certain interaction. And I do think when I moved to Virginia, um, meeting different kinds of people too is just a worldly experience. But, you know, one of my best friends is, you know, was the jock, the prep, you know, and when I was younger, I was like, I didn't want to be around that kind of person. No, but that was just my wrong view of people because of my experiences. Yeah. Cause it almost makes you prejudiced towards, towards, well, it, those people that you've interacted with that gave you a, a, a distasteful experience or a bad experience in the past, it does make you more cautious. I won't say prejudiced, but it definitely makes you more cautious towards any interaction with them, if, if that's what I'm hearing correctly. Yeah. So why Virginia? Why, why'd you leave Ohio? How did you get to where you were in Ohio? What was, you know, progressed throughout the, through the years again for us? I, uh, a lot of my family was in the medical field and I liked it. It was a good job and what I want to do to, you know, kind of give back. In high school, I went to, uh, I worked as a nursing assistant, so started in the medical field at 16 and then in high school I took a couple of years at the community college got my EMT and my I was aiming towards like nursing maybe a flight medic um fire department was on the radar too but my best friend you know at 18 after I graduated he's like I'm going to fire school you want to go I'm like yeah so we did that and uh you know, months after graduating, I had one, my first fire department job. And then I had, eventually I would get another part, uh, fire department job and a private ambulance job. So I was working 7,800 hours a week with no benefits, um, making crap wages, even for Northeast Ohio, which cost of living is way cheaper than this area. Um, but I knew I liked the job and I knew I wanted, once you got the full-time job, you got the good hours, the good benefits. And the market was so saturated in Ohio that it, you know, 200 to 400 people would uh, apply for a test for one position and you would, you wouldn't even get looked at. And it's better now than it was, but it's still not like Virginia where you can go apply and if your pulse is, you know, present that they're going to hire you kind of thing. Yeah. But, but at the time when you first applied for Virginia, that's not the way it was. Correct. Um, I mean, me being a paramedic, it was, they, they recruited me. They, yeah. You had somewhat, somewhat of a golden ticket, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit different perspective with that, but, um, it took me six months, you know, I got the phone call finally, uh, to come down and I spent the last 12 years down in Virginia. So before we move on to Virginia, I know you had in that time that you, you, you ran, well, you were both, you worked at the hospital right out of high school. And then you, you were doing some, some fire work, a fire department stuff before you came to Virginia. 
you had a, a pretty dramatic call in Ohio. Yeah. Um, so I got hired and I started in Virginia in January of 11 and it was Black Friday, Thanksgiving months before, and we get a call for, it was called to pronounce a body, but it seemed kind of odd by the dispatch. And at 7 a.m. ish, you know, we go behind this bar and, you know, I'm, I'm the first medic there, uh, with a, like two other people. It's a small department. You don't get massive resources coming to all kind of stuff. Um, found this woman probably in her forties naked laying in a tree line with, uh, you know, her butt up in the air, her, you can see her jugulars were sliced. Um, you know, she was, she was raped there. She wasn't covered up. You can, the house that was behind this bar and the opposite street behind it was a white house and it was covered all the way around by the windows and doors with bloody hand, hand scrape marks for this woman trying to ask for help. And the people that lived behind there didn't think anything of it because they lived next to a bar and you get chaos, you know, and you know, it's like NCIS that blew up in that world, you know, a little small town corner bar and you have cameras, specialists, detectives from everywhere there. Uh, and then after you spend all day, you know, babysitting the scene, um, we get called back to have to go scrub off that house in the yard because there was, the woman was dragged through the yard. Um, you know, so I'm 21 years old trying to figure out what I want to do in life. And I'm, you know, taking the scrub brushes that you scrub the units with to wash down this house of blood and rinse off the yard. Just, it was, it looked like a horror scene, you know? And when I, in so January, I moved to Virginia and I lived uh, in Alexandria at the time, but it's pretty surreal when you get a call from the Arlington police department saying you need to come down to the station. And you're like, or what? And they're like, well, we're, we're working with, uh, the department in Ohio, you know, so I had to do, you know, DNA just to rule out cause I was on the scene, you know, and they wanted to f check all their boxes, but a wild experience and, uh, many calls, you know, throughout the years and even stuff in the ER to this day, those are the kind of calls that you know, to quote your, you know, things we all carry, you carry them with you throughout your life. And it's never haunted me. It's never woken up in like night sweats or whatever, but there's certain things that'll remind you of those events. And they're just kind of like a new friend in your life. Like that event just hangs with you and it pops in time to time. It, it doesn't ruin my day. It doesn't, you know, doesn't certainly make it any better, but like, it's just there and you wave high to it every now and then. And obviously things like this, you know, make you think about it, but, um, yeah, those, what we do and, you know, the idea of doing this forever is 
learning how to carry those things well and not make them a burden. Yeah. And, and how do you think you did that? Do you think you did that subconsciously or is, is there mm-hmm. anything you did that you remember saying, no, this is, I, I talked to so-and-so or, or I process it this way or whatever it was. Is there something that stands out to you that that's the reason why you think you're able to carry it the way you do? I can talk to most people, but I think forever being surrounded by, you know, us in the fire service, we all like hanging out with each other and we tend to sometimes only hang out with like individuals because you can tell those things and relate to somebody and, you know, they don't look at you like you, you might at a, a dinner table with the wrong crowd of when you say this, you know, just be honest about it. You know, you experienced it and you, you move with it, you know, and also I've always been a worker. I probably work more than I should, but I think accidentally doing the hobbies I do or jobs or hiking or working on machines, like that's my therapy time. And if I'm working too much to do those things, that's when, you know, you start to get off balance in the world. Yeah. I was going to use that word exactly. So you, you, you've managed to somehow stumble into balance. Mm Mm-hmm. So you come to Virginia, you deal with, with wrapping up that investigation and obviously it's taken care of. You're not, you're not in, you're not part of that other than the fact that you were there on scene afterwards. Um, and I mean that from a, like a criminal standpoint, because that's what, that's what they wanted to clear you up initially. Correct. Not clear you up, but to make sure that, that they had the right DNA on scene for who was involved in the killing. Yeah. Uh, I forgot this part and this part really hammers that one home a little bit more, but so New Year's Eve, right before I moved here, I went out with friends for New Year's Eve celebrations. And, uh, I didn't know it throughout the evening, but there's this girl that was hanging out with us. And finally someone taps me on the shoulder and says, Oh, Hey, that's, uh, that's, that's that woman's daughter. And I'm like, well, I didn't need to know that, you know? Um, and months later, she ended up, uh, I think her and her brother, um, ended up killing themselves both. Um, and the fact that it was my friend's friends, you know, and I was drinking with this woman, you know, like makes something that much closer to home. So it definitely narrows down those, uh, what we call the six degrees of separation, doesn't it? Yeah. So how does, how does your career in Virginia start? How, how do you find Virginia? Is it to your liking? Do you, is it, is the job what you wanted? It, are you, do you thrive? What, what is it? Just tell me a little bit about it. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, the level of education here, um, the, I had to go through fire school again. And the stuff I learned or with the repetition and like, you know, joke about whatever, but we, Prince William County in this area does a lot of things well, as far as discipline, teaching, right. Um, so I definitely was set up for success. I went to, uh, station seven 
for four years. And uh, my boss was Lieutenant Henson, who's a a veteran in life and teaching and all that. Um, they were revamping uh, the swift water rescue program right when I got there. So I got early start on with mentoring to be an instructor and I would demonstrate stuff. But, you know, when you get paid overtime to go hang out in Great Falls and ride Zodiac boats and whitewater raft, like whether you're teaching and responsible for the whole class or just a student, like that's a pretty cool life. Um, I would hike. When I first moved here, I discovered uh, Old Rag in a hurry. And I would hike that sometimes once a week. Um, I loved, I loved all that. I loved living in the mountains, in the rivers. Um, even back then, every so often still, I would, uh, I miss home. I miss having the people around. Um, and I did find new family and community, you know, here, but it's still not your family at the end of the day. And throughout my career, I would revisit that too, to, okay, is it worth me moving home? What am I going to give up? What's the pros and cons? So that was always in your, in your mind. What, what, during your time in Prince William was, was kind of an expiration date on the, on, on being here? Uh, I never had an expiration date. Um, you know, early on when I was here, I got married and in my head after that, you know, I was going to be here for the rest of my life, which I was fine with. Um, and there's still days that I sit in Ohio, wonder if, you know, coming back or, you know, what, what did I give up? Is that still, did I get what I want out of that trade-off? Um, it's familiar and there's a lot of hobbies and things I like about Northeast Ohio in general that I just always kind of wanted back to, but you can find it here, but everywhere is different. There's cool things here. There's cool things there. So you're, you're, what do you, you spent just under 12 years in Virginia, correct? Yep. Um, you know, what kinds of things did you see? What did you do? Did, was there anything impactful from, from their time in Virginia? I, I know you mentioned the marriage, but it, is there, are there job related things that are impactful? How did you learn how to deal with the job? How did you learn how to deal with things you, do you experience from the marriage or calls? What did you do? Um, my first, uh, my first eight years here, I was assigned to a medic unit, uh, some busy, some slow. Um, you see the whole gambit of all that. Um, some things I saw that were, again, tie into the whole family thing is one of the calls in Haymarket, there's this Asian guy who, uh, didn't get a promotion and was struggling at work and we found him in his basement. He hung himself, but it was basically from the stresses of not being able to be prideful and look at his family, you know, in the face. And that's another one of, I mean, there's a list of my first, this area has a lot of opportunities for you to see and do amazing things, amazingly messed up and amazingly benefits it 
no one, no fire service in the rest of the country are doing some of the trainings as young as we are and other things. Um, I just got promoted to a tech two and my first call was overtime, but I was on a rescue and, you know, we're cutting a guy out from wrapped around a tree cause he didn't want to live no more. And it's a spectacular thing when you unmangling a body and putting it in pieces, you know, especially when you think about the fact that it was done on purpose. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's not to detract from your, your story, but we were talking about suicides and, and hanging specifically at work yesterday and they, they sit with you completely differently than, than other calls. Mm-hmm. And then there's different kind of categories or subcategories of suicides that sit with you different than other suicides and the ones that are so purposeful. And I, I know the audience is probably thinking, well, aren't all suicides purposeful, but I think there's a, there's a determination to some that, that stands out. And a couple of them that we talked about yesterday is two of us had experienced ones where you actually had to be, I set the stage. It was a woman decided to hang herself because of a tragedy in her family the week or so before. She wrapped a, a tie around her neck. I think it was a tie or a bathrobe um, sash. She wrapped it around her neck and ra- wrapped it around the doorknob to a closet. So you have to think of how low that is, what, three feet? And she sat down into it. And at that point, you're thinking, just stand up. Yeah. You're, you're starting to go. You're starting, you feel it. You have to feel it. You know you're feeling it. You're starting to black out. Just stand up. But then you think about it, you're like, Block. She was, she was so determined that she was done, that that's what she did. And it's, that's, to me, that's even more shocking than any other, another hanging where, where they kick a chair out and, and, and you find them, uh, because she had the ability at any moment to stand up and end what she was doing, but she was so determined and it, that that's the one that those, those stick with you. And I think that's, you know, you, you see a guy drive his car into a tree and, and it's the same thing he, at any second he can, he can, he can steer away from it, but it's very purposeful in what, the, what he was doing. To, to go, I mean, to continue on with suicide notions in my time in Virginia, but I met one of my best friends, Graham Clark. Um, but he was close with, uh, Marcelo who you've talked about before. Um, but I found out and I called him and I knew Marcelo enough, but I knew Gra- Graham was his rookie. Um, and I had to call Graham and no one else had called him before, which I'm glad he found out not through some post or whatever, but yeah, uh, being in this service, you definitely, you get to see the whole world with the bandaid ripped off, you know, on all kinds of levels, good, bad, and indifferent. Yeah, you definitely do. And then unfortunately it's, and, and I didn't mean to hijack your story there, but it's, it's, I think I was struck at, at it's just ironic that you, you talk about it and, and it's what we were talking about yesterday at work. And so, um, uh, pardon me for hijacking the story a little bit there. You're good. Um, it, you do get to see the bad, good and indifferent and, and, how they intertwine at times, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. And then of course we, we all treat it with the dark humor and the jokes and the, and the kind of trying to brush it off. But 
it obviously, it's not easy to brush any of that off. So, so how do you deal with those costs? How do you start to deal with them? Um, well, to tie in, you know, my marriage and some other things, there's a lot of stuff that, um, years after my marriage, you know, and I'll talk about that in a second, but you don't realize that you're coping by working overtime or, you know, bearing like work was always my safe spot. You know, I felt happy at work. So, you know, some of my burnout is self induced because I was working to hide my feelings or when I would get home, I remember I had my first apartment to myself one time and I was having an, I poured a drink and it was subconscious. Like I had a moment there that I didn't even want the drink. It was just like a routine of in the door, grab this, pour a drink. And I just stared at that drink for a while and I was like, how'd you get here, Mark? You know? Um, and before all of that, you know, the good, bad, and different of all the bad things, I wouldn't have the relationships I have and meet the people if I did, if I didn't, if my marriage didn't work out that way. Um, after my marriage, I moved back in with, um, well, I was just in PA to see John Fowler, if you met him years ago, uh, and Graham, and we all lived together, but having people to, to talk to is what got me through. Even if, even if we sat at a bar, you know, it wasn't even about drinking. It could have been coffee. It could have been ice cream, but we, you know, got a buzz while we're accidentally having a therapy session, you know, not even planned, but those are the things that kept me moving for sure. Yeah. I think those are kind of the best because I'm not necessarily the you know, it's those accidental therapy sessions, I guess is what you can call it. Yeah. You really go walk away and go, damn, that was a good conversation. I didn't expect that to happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it, it, those are pretty powerful and, and they remind you of, of that good of the good, bad, and indifferent. So you talked about your marriage. I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about it. So you want to slide into that now and, and kind of discuss what happens there? Yeah. I, uh, I met, my ex in Virginia, she's from Virginia. And, uh, I mean, if you met this girl today, you would be, she becomes instant friends with whoever, cause hindsight on all this, you know, she's that chameleon and that good at being who she does. I think it's unhealthy. I don't think she's necessarily intentionally reaching out or doing those things to be hateful, but this is just her survival mode or whatever trauma life dealt her. Um, but I, I met this girl out at a bar in Richmond, um, after a car show and we dated for a year. She met my friends, family, everyone loved her. Uh, we got engaged in, uh, in Nashville, which is just funny because the anniversary of that came up on my Facebook and people were congratulating me for my anniversary because I made a comment on it. And I had to explain that that's 10 years ago. Yeah. I saw that one and it took off like wildfire. <laughs> um, and then people, then all kind of people are like, oh, you've been married. It's like, yeah, well, here's story time again, but I don't mind telling it. It just been so far 
gone that it's kind of a part of my life now, a thing of the past, but it still affects me, I'm sure. But anyways, we got engaged and we lived together for a year and she worked, life was good. Um, nothing, I loved her, you know, nothing in my mind at the time was big red flags. But after I said I do, I met her. She started drinking. You know, we always casually drank, but it was like one drink, one bottle of wine or, and she became manipulative, super dark. Um, I'm a pretty easygoing, cheery person. And, you know, my friend said, you know, he's like, it kind of broke my heart to hear that you can even muster any spirit, you know, when I, when he called me, cause he knew things were wrong. And there's a few people that reached out to me when they saw the writing on my face. Cause I don't show that stuff. Um, but we we're married for four months. There was over $3,500 in overdraft fees in her shared checking account. She was buying everything from, I don't know, makeup to a computer or whatever. And we, we made decent money and we would talk about, you know, when we would buy stuff and, you know, then you come home the next day after work and try to get gas and your card's denied because there's, you know, whatever per thing she purchased. Um, I started catching her in lies and I finally left. Um, my buddy had a room, uh, open up at his townhouse, so... I kind of was waiting on that and trying to decide my, my parents have been married. I don't know. My brother's 38. So maybe 40 years now. And I believe in marriage and I still want that, but like, I couldn't see working through this or I had to step away and I did that. And, and within a month of leaving, I got served for spousal support. She wanted me to pay for her attorney. Um, and shortly after that, we go to court and I can tell that the judges were saying that something was kind of fucked up with her intentions and story and other things. I had a realtor come after me saying, uh, I owed her for the year's rent. This woman forged my signature to a house. And, uh, I had a realtor coming after me. I'm like, I don't know. I borrowed money from my brother to pay for an attorney. You can talk to my attorney too. Like we'll figure out what's going on, but I never met you lady. Like, I don't know. Um, so some of my friends did some digging and over the past five years before I met her, she was married twice and all this, I didn't know any of this. Um, she had felonies for identity theft credit card fraud, check forgery, and embezzlement. And we brought this up in court and she stopped showing up to court, which my, uh, my annulment, we, I was able to get it, my marriage annulled because withholding information of felonies is grounds for an annulment. But we had a, uh, an unanniversary party because it was the day after what would have been our year anniversary. Um, which was fun and in all the same ways, but it took me years to recover financially. 
um, the courts awarded me money and I'll never see it because it's, they can't garnish your wages like child support. Um, but I had to work overtime to pay that off. Um, when I came to work and, you know, I'm always thankful for people in the fire service because of stuff like this too. But we were driving to a, I was driving the medic unit and we're driving to, I forgot what the call was, but my Lieutenant, um, he looks at me, he goes, Blanda, you don't normally show stress. You come to work, you do your job, but you're wearing something on your face. And we got like five minutes to get to this call responding, goes start talking. And like the day later is when my buddy Graham called me too. And it just like, yeah, um, it's affecting me. I, I can remember driving, we lived in orange and there was like a line of demarcation that like you would get off the highway and you'd feel all that stress coming back on, just going home. And you know, I was the place where you're supposed to get rest is not restful. So I, I drive to work and you feel the stress lighten, you know, cause you're leaving that, um, Later on, I came to find out I had a, a Pittsburgh firefighter, small world, but he called my station and tracked me down and his son was engaged to a, uh, a woman of a similar, but different name. And we both kind of darkly laughed on the phone about that. Um, and I told him what I do about my ex and he had some detective friends that did some digging too. And I was, I, I was just confirming both of her, of his suspicions. Um, but you know, she was, and we did figure out she started dating, um, right before Thanksgiving the year or so before. And that's when I left. So one, she was talking, I mean, we work 24 hour shifts and you're gone for a long time you can have a whole nother life and never know. You just got to be able to trust your spouse, you know? And with that, you know, it took me years to have a healthy relationship with a woman, um, or, or not just keep her at a, a healthy distance, you know, um, and healthy for my sanity that. Yeah. Your healthy is different from healthy. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. I know. I, I, Trust me, I know this. I know the feeling. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. Um, you know, I would, I remember going on my first date after that and I'm not a super anxious person, but the date was fine, but I got in my car and like probably basically had a small, you know, panic attack or whatever. And I would just, I can look at a woman who's could have been the, perfect woman for me or whatever and just be like I would hear my ex's name like as I just looked at and I'm not that way now um 
but it took some years um later on even some therapy of talking to people of saying what am i doing right what am i doing wrong um but a lot of what i did was for years was work i like work but um i didn't realize i was burying and compounding you know the calls and the things we do on top of my personal life and we talked about this earlier and I'd still like to get there in life, but having a healthy relationship at home is, is a superpower. You know, you can handle so much more in life and carry it well, you know, just having that companionship of knowing you're, that's why fire department folks love, you know, we work hard down in the trenches together but we know we have each other's back and it sure would help to have that at home, you know? I think it helps you focus on conquering everything else that's in the world. You don't have to worry about conquering what's at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my, my marriage was super short, but it definitely left a lifetime of, uh, and then it also put me on a path where moving in with my friends, like I would have never had those, the depth of those relationships, um, if I never experienced what I did. So in a way I'm glad, you know, I'm not trying to forget it. And, you know, I, I did learn with anything in all this, I never, the goals never try to forget it, just have a healthier relationship with whatever experience it is. Yeah, you have to learn from it. You have to accept it and and find your way to move on. And like I said, learn from it, mature from it. Um. So yeah, I, I bounced around living with buddy to buddy in Virginia. Um, and eventually got my own apartment and an own house. And having that solitude was good for me in a way because you got to sit with yourself and you get. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's the best thing, but after you sit through it long enough, it became peaceful and, you know, with the hours, you know, four years ago or five, whatever it was when we changed to a 56 hour work week, um, I was just finding myself being a zombie. Like when we were on the old schedule, you can pick up some overtime or space it outright where you're still sane, but when you're up and down and up and down for busy station, slow station, you know, you're up, you're up at night, you know, some of the slow stations you're up for hours because of distance of calls and stuff. But when your sleep is off for a week, every week, indefinitely, um, you just kind of become a zombie. And I remember a guy back home, he works, he used to work in ERs. He's the second father to me, basically. Um, he's now an OR nurse for some years, but, you know, he looked at me one day, he goes, Fooch is my nickname. And he goes, I see this in some folks in the ER, but you see it more in police and fire. He goes, you're different than you were, you know, you're, you're still there, but like, you know, 
this job changes you. Um, and it's not just fire department, but there's all kinds of things that you don't realize it and you don't always see it, but you know, when you're walking around in a, as a shell of yourself, um, you start trying to figure out, sorry, um, how can you do life better? Cause you want to get to, we all want happiness. We all want companionship. We all want a job we are proud of and do well at, but you gotta find the balance with all the pieces to make that a life you want to be happy to continue with, you know? And so to that end, you start really ramping up this idea of, of, of going back home, correct? Yeah. I, uh, I visited it maybe, let's say four years ago and the, the process to get my certifications back in Ohio was harder than it probably needed to be. And that at the time I kind of half-ass attempted and I'm like, no, I got a good job. I'll make it work here. Um, and then I sat with that for a couple of years and I was like, no, I, I'm going to, I'm young, I'm 35 now, but you know, I'm young enough that I can get a fire department job back home. Their schedules are our old schedule, 24, 48, you know, being up at night is not healthy in any ways, but it's a healthier version of that. Um, and you know, call me a homeboy or whatever, you know, like I just, home was where my heart was and I set on that course and I was the last two two years of my Prince William, you know, career, I was teaching, working my normal 56 hour week and in between running up to Ohio for testing for whatever. And it's amazing the things you're trying to do to make yourself better are the same things that are wearing you out too. I want to go back to something you said there. You, you, you looked into it four or five years ago and you started wondering, okay, maybe I can go home. And then it, it became, the road is a little tougher than what you thought it was going to be. But in your mind, you're like, no, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a good quote unquote good job where I'm at. So why wouldn't I just stay? Do you think that was, was that comfort? Was it comforting knowing that I was in a place with a good job? Yeah. Was it, was it comfort, the comfort of, okay, I've got this job. I'm getting a paycheck every two weeks. I'm relatively sure what my, what my pay is going to be every two weeks. This is, this is easy for me to just stay here. It was that, would you say that's comfort? Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I'll, I think we've talked about this with being in bad relationships before, um, personally, professionally, whatever, but it was definitely the comfort of this is known. I know the variables, good, bad, and different. I, I know that I'm going to trade, you know, another, you know, 15, 20 years of my life for this pension. It's known that, you know, every mother would love to hear that, you know, their sons has a job that they're going to get a pension. They're going to get a retirement. My parents don't have, you know, a retirement, like the fire department set up, you know? Um, so yeah, it was not being, I don't know, 
having enough courage at the time to be willing to go venture into the unknown because home where I came from was not the home it was when I left there 13, 14 years ago now. It's still, a lot of the bones are still there, but I'm not the same person as I was going home as when I left. So yeah, it was definitely a, a soft place to land and it was easier not to make the choice, you know? So what makes you finally break down and say, nope, I'm going? Uh, um, just the, it was a accumulation of things for sure, but the reminder of the day in, day out of the same reality of I'm going to work, work's good. I like work, you know, the, the last four years of my assignment in Prince William County, I, I feel like I thrived, you know, my bosses let me run the training, run the crews, and I, I had my freedom to do at my rank, you know, what I could do and I cared about, and I still do the folks that I work with, but it was never the job that was like, you know, fuck this job, you know, um, it was the rest of my life that I wanted. I wanted to be able to go to concerts or hang out with my friends and not have to intricately plan it out so you can be stable enough or awake enough to go enjoy your weekend. Yeah, it's a nightmare to plan out concerts and, and day trips or whatever when you're working this schedule. Uh, and yes, I know we, we have to give up some of our time in life to work, um, but I wanted, I would go on dates and, you know, you're, you're a zombie, you know, and even more so people in the service, it's easier definitely to date or relate to nurses or cops or firefighters because you don't have to explain why you're quiet one day or why you're acting a little bit differently because of whatever you're unloading and decompressing from. Dude, I'm telling you, you had, uh, you had a wiretap around the table at station 11 last night because <laughs> we talked about that too that that was brought up someone's like why do firefighters always end up dating nurses and the audience is out there laughing because it's true there it's a there there's a there's a predominance of those relationships out there in the fire service so it's funny that you brought that up because we were talking about that as well last night around the the kitchen table so uh, you were listening so and yeah, I, I still want to, I'm getting back into the fire service in Ohio. Um, and I kind of took a break for, from, from it just for a little bit. Um, but I want a life that I can have time to, I, I have old cars, like restoring and building old cars. And I had them in Virginia and they would sit there, um, because I just didn't have a give a damn to go work on something that gave me joy because I was fried, you know, burned out, whatever you want to call it. But sitting, doing nothing or doing what you had to do was enough. And I want a life where I can go give a healthy amount of myself to 
all those things. And I know in life there's going to be give and take and whatever, but if I don't actively try to build that myself, it's not going to get done for me. And I knew, um, I know Prince William is aiming for a 51 hour work week, maybe. Um, uh, they're aiming for something. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But again, like it's not promised, but it's promised to myself if I go make that for myself. So I knew, you know, the definition of insanity of doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, you know, wasn't going to do it. So this is me changing my life, changing where I work to have the full rounded life that I would like to have. So you pack up, you go back to Ohio and that's a struggle for you, right? Yeah. It's a, I mean, sometimes it's a, well, one, you just left everything you've known for a lifetime and, you know, works different. Um, expectations of people at work, you know, I work for a hospital now. It's much more laid back than, and this is also another thing of like the fire department. Everything is, they, they, you know, you can treat teaching a rookie to mop something with the same intensity of when you're going to go do something on a call. So it's done that way on a call, but that's not the, the public world's mindset. So I would relate to the hard chargers, the military guys and other things, because we had that same mindset. But um, when you're working with people that there's less accountability or other things, you're kind of like, what am I doing here? But I, I, I took a job in an ER as a paramedic um, so I can get benefits and get myself home. Because I would test for fire departments and I would miss interviews because they're like, oh, hey, um, I know it's Monday of this week, but can you be here Monday of next week for an interview? And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm teaching all week and I can't just drive to Ohio and come back in the same day. And they're like, well, I mean, they're struggling to get people to get hired sometimes too, but I wasn't going to get that job if I wasn't living there. So another reason why I moved, but initially just to get myself off the train that I was on and it wasn't the worst thing in the world because tons of people would and still do, you know, trade everything they have for the life, you know, you have, we have, um, and so I started working nights and I did that for, I think four or five months and Working the 56 or working night shift, in my opinion, your sleep is forever fucked. Um, your motivation to do anything else is lacking. You, you know, you stay up the next night and watch TV just to keep yourself on that schedule because you're doing it all to be ready and prepared at work. Um, but you're off time. Like I know people do nights and do it well, but, um, that's like the fire department you have 
And especially in Northeast Ohio, you work two days a week and you have a chance to recover and stay sane and you have two days off in between. Um, you know, there's less, some departments have it, but not as much as Northern Virginia is experiencing like mandatory holdover. Um, and I switched to days, um, with day shift, I started mentoring a lot of the paramedic students that would come into the ER and I mean, to fast, to rewind that thought a second, working nights, you know, I was thinking, do I want to be in the fire service? Because if I'm just going to have the same life and lack of rest everywhere, um, and I know every job's tiring and I'm not, I still work despite what I'm saying, like I still work five days a week or six by my own choice. Um, and you can do that much better with a little bit of rest. And I'm not a big sleeper, but getting a little bit rather than none is, or some is better. Uh, and I'm just aiming for better. Um, but I started mentoring, you know, paramedic students and they like, I've only been, I've been there a year now, but they like, you know, how I train people or carry myself. So I'm, I'm the one training the newer medics that are getting paired with me and doing that mentoring made me miss the fire service of mentoring others and teaching others and working and just building team building and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you laugh about the team building exercises, but when you say it, when you mean it, cause you miss that, you know, camaraderie and that world, um, found me down the road to start really heavily taking full-time test and uh, I'm going to be starting a part-time fire department job too. They, they hire their part-timers to full-time. So being a 35 year old man, and this is something you can relate to too, because when you started in the fire service, but I go into these interviews and I left Prince William because I wanted to. I can get hired back there if I wanted to, but you go and when you're young, they know, you know, you don't have any experience, but I got these cards, so hire me, you know? And now you're like, well, first I need to pro prove or tell that I'm not, you know, I didn't get fired for whatever. I'm employable. I know the job. I like the job and I want to do it and continue to do it. So, um, it's definitely a different interview. I'm probably sure for their side of it and mine. Cause, um, and you also learn, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm an instructor for in Virginia and Pennsylvania for swift water. And I'm proud of that. But when you try to sell yourself, you gotta figure out how to be humble and say, I can do these things. I've done these things. I'd like to do these things because the fire service in Northeast Ohio, you know, pros and cons of different areas, but most of the world, you know, a 10 year guy is the guy who's starting to think about learning to be an instructor or teaching. So I've gotten to do in just the teaching aspect alone, but even 
you know, call experience or sitting and writing the seat, you know, departments, they don't ride the seat until you're an officer and those officers aren't becoming officers until they're 15 years into their career before they ever really see a seat, you know, in a routine career department. So I have a different life experience and yeah, you, you, you walk into a fire department and granted you have 15 years or so of fire department service b behind you to, to back up why they should hire you, but you walk into a fire department at 35 or 36 or, or like I did at 44, there's a different eye that's applied to that applicant than a 21 year old. It's kind of a question of, well, why do you want to be here? And you kind of have to prove the why as well as the ability to do the job. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that even 21 year olds get asked why they want to do it, but, it, but it's a, it's a little easier to, to accept that, that, that 18 to, to whatever year old coming in and saying, this is my first job. This is always, this is what I've wanted to do always compared to a 40 year old going in going, this is what I want to do now. And there's a, there's some question as the, to the, to the motivation behind why you're doing it. Not saying your motivation, but in general, the Queen's English kind of your motivation. Um, it's not, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing to overcome. And then it's a, it's a, it's a weird pill to swallow when you have to kind of go, okay, I'm a 44, 45 year old rookie. And now I have to, I have to play that role for a year as well. So yeah, no, I totally get that. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it's right, wrong or, or different, but in my interviews, I'll tell them like. I will happily, you know, and, you know, is rookie even the right word to use, which is another thing, you know, am I going to get myself in trouble for, but I'll happily go, you know, wash the unit and mop the floors and do whatever and learn what you guys have to offer. Cause they, they have a different set of experiences. They, they run calls, you know, with three guys to one station where here there's resources everywhere that's coming. So they have a different set of toolbox of how am I going to handle this? Cause I have to do it with a single engine company, not the world. I mean, there are resources that are coming. It's not that bad by any means. It just, that part's different. Um, yeah. In a department like that, that, that part is definitely different. Cause we ran a fire yesterday and I had, it was a weird day. We had people calling sick. We had details. Uh, I was the only one actually assigned to the truck, riding the truck yesterday. And we got this little house fire, a first due house fire. And, um, uh, I was driving and then uh, there, we had a rookie in, in the outside bucket because he actually had more experience than the Lieutenant. They, they detailed in to ride in on the truck. So we, <laughs> so we had a rookie in the outside bucket and he's, this is first fire in the truck and, and because of the resources we had on that fire, I could actually teach in the middle of running a fire as well. Mm -hmm. I could, I, you know, I, I was able to coach him around the building. I was able to, to say, Hey, you know what? I don't need to cut this garage. You can cut this garage and you can get, you can get actual on the job experience, cutting a garage where there's smoke coming out of it and things like that. It was valuable. And that speaks to the, to what we, to the resources we have around us. Cause at one point, Someone asked if, if we go take some windows out so they could start ventilation in, and, and so we started to go into the house and I realized that there's, 
a massive humanity in that house. And so we had to be very careful about where we were and who was in front of us. And I was stumbling on my old crew from the rescue. And, and thankfully they knew it was me and they weren't too frustrated, but it, it just felt, it felt crowded in the, in the building. It was ridiculous how crowded it felt. So it's, it's good and bad to have all those resources so ready, but there's also something to be said for some space to operate. Mm -hmm. Being on at 24, we, uh, for, you know, quote unquote, being a slower station, we had a fair amount of consistent fire, but we would be on calls, you know, down rural water alone, you know, for a while. We had the truck there at the time, so we had a truck and an engine, but you were on your own. There was no, no one to tell you what to do or not to do. And you made the best of it. And I, I like a good headache, a good challenge like that, you know, um, but I'm excited to do a dressing drill, you know, um, I'm excited to, uh, I want to mentor, you know, I want to learn too. I, I found in, you know, my year away from the job, um, I picked up a side job working at my buddy's fabrication shop because I'm learning something. And he, and he's cool to hang out with, but I, I want to learn to build hot rods more than I know how. So, you know, we have to keep learning. We have to keep growing and we have to keep pushing. And I think when I moved back to Ohio, I took a, a deep breath and was like, I just did a lot of stuff and I wanted to take a deep breath. Um, but I quickly found out that once it quiets down, you're like, I don't want to sit here and just be quiet. I want to push the envelope again of life and things, but you, you know, the big encompassing theme of all this throughout life is you have to have the ability to recalibrate your world and you can still do all the things you want to do, but you got to fine tune all the pieces. So they're, you know, a cohesive working clock that the second hand isn't running faster than, you know, the rest of it. Go, go a little more into it. What do you mean by you kind of recalibrate or fine tune the, the, the machine? What, what do you mean by the incorporating all the pieces of professional, the personal, is that, is that what you mean by that? Yeah, like if, you know, it, I was able to just, what's the word? Step aside and look at my life and say, okay, I'm working full time now. And I, I, I always was, but like, I got that thing handled. Now I want to add more things. So you got to be smart about when you're adding pieces to your life that, they don't get too far ahead of you and you get stressed out or burned out or, um, cause when you're doing all the things, you know, filling out, you know, you're seven days a week doing whatever you want to do. Um, you have to do it sanely. I mean, we certainly don't do it sanely all the time, but, um, And I always kind of laughed at this, what people talk about, like living with living purposefully rather than just letting life happen to you. And 
in my years, I'm learning that you have to be intentional with your time. Um, and you can do amazing, great things at great capacity, but you have to have all the, all four tires running in the same direction. Yeah. Living intentionally is, is something that it's, it's a learned thing. It doesn't always come naturally to people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's a list of things for you, but when you're younger, you laughed at, you know, people doing whatever. And now you're like, oh, I want to stretch and do yoga too, you know? <laughs> I want to, but I keep forgetting to do it. Yeah. But you're not, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> I'm aware of the things I need to be doing, but I wave at those things too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I, I stand up and go, damn, I need to stretch. So, yeah. Living intentionally is something that, that, that's just such a dynamic thing because you, 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 it goes back to let's keep learning. Let's, let's find a new adventure. Let's, let's, let's kind of risk something and, and not, not risk it to the point of, of danger necessarily, but risk it like you did. You risked, you risked it. You, you made that jump back from, from first from Ohio to Virginia. You didn't know what you were jumping into to come into to Virginia. You got a great job in Virginia. You met a good set of friends. You, you, yeah, you went through a bad marriage, but you've learned from that and you're starting to to step away from that even more day to day, you getting further and further away from that. And then you make a jump from Virginia back to Ohio. And that's a massive jump because you had this guarantee in Virginia and you could ride out eight more years and you have a pension. Or you can say, nope, I want to go home because home is where my heart is truly. And I want to, I want to establish myself back there. But that's a massive step to take. So those are the things about living risky that I mean, and and I don't think enough of us as Americans in general and firefighters specifically do. I think we we get into these jobs, we get comfortable with these jobs, and we don't leave these jobs because we're convinced. Either we convince ourselves, or the 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 fire stations, the fire service, the the departments convince us that we would we would suffer if we left this job because what else are you going to do with your skill set? Which I think is such a misnomer. We, we have a skill set that no one else has because we've taken care of what everyone else can't take care of. So it, I, I like that living intentionally, but still taking some risk and making sure you, you still live on, a, on an edge kind of. I want to be around people doing that kind of stuff. Um, but also just to speak for the whole fire services, and you said it, you know, too, but our jobs are, I said this in it, interview recently too and they're like well what do you think of when you think of a fireman I, I and i was said people who are resourceful we do amazing great things in the fire service alongside each other and we're doing it together but that's our tuesday you know the rest of the world couldn't fathom you know being dropped in the middle of nowhere or anywhere and having to make it look like a polished machine when you never ran that call before you never done that thing before and that's that's exciting in itself that you have that and i i the er for me is very predictable very uh repetitive you know iv ekg meds next iv ekg meds next um but the fire service i think it's so cool that it's so raw that you walk into wherever and 
you got to figure out what's going on. And you might've been dispatched to a, you know, grandma short of breath, but grandma short of breath because the house is on fire, you know, no one mentioned that part, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's somebody that I, he listens up in Philadelphia and he can, he can, uh, attest to that. He, he, he got dispatched on a house fire to only have it to become a, an, an assault with a stabbing victim. And he had to, tr he had to switch gears pretty quickly. And, and, it, and so it's that kind of dynamic situation where, where you're thinking on the fly and, and there are some very routine parts of the fire department and the fire service, but there's also just that you, you, it's, it's, it's a different thing all the time. Even the same call is different because it's different, different people. The, the routine approach or the routine check boxes is, is the routine, like on a macro scale, we run every call the same way. You go through the same check boxes and that's what's great about, you know, the tools I've gotten here is in Virginia is they hammer those checklists home and to nauseam and you like, you know, scene safe BSI kind of to be on the really dramatic side of it, but. You don't have to think about that when you're trying to, you know, solve the riddle because in your head you have the checklist going and we, uh, personally and professionally, we need those checklists, uh, you know, are you ready to fly today? You know, stack, <laughs> did you pull all the right pins? Yeah. Right. So we talked briefly about chaos and, uh, I think that's, that, that's, that topic just comes up all the time. And you said that, you know, you, that's, what's kind of missing in the, in the ER. If, if I, if, if that's how I garnet it from you correctly. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of that piece where you're like, okay, that's, that's what I'm missing. And do you think by going back to a fire department, do you think there's a part of that where you're seeking that back out? Uh, yes. Um, and to further go into that, and you've talked about this in some of your other podcasts too, or shows, how much of that is okay? How much of that is healthy? Uh, and I, I, I don't know, you know, um, I think that's the problem. A lot of us don't know. Yeah. And we don't even know it's chaos until we're, we're knee deep in it. And someone else looks at you, you go, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, uh, I, yeah, you're right. I fucked up and that's chaos. I mean, yeah, chaos could be things going bad or just, um, and you know, they joke and say, you know, it's not my emergency. Well, in a way it's not, but you make it, you have to stay detached enough to see all the chaos. Like I want to hang out with the chaos, but I don't want to, you know, necessarily add to the chaos, but it's cool to, to go kind of control and get a taste of it. Um, I grew up drag racing and drifting and doing dumb things, you know, but I can go to a drag strip and do that now and still get that thrill. I think, I think on some level from the whole side of societal things, like we do need some of that that thrill, that unknown. I know why I go snowboarding. I know why I go mountain bike riding. One, it's therapeutic, but it's also chaos and it's harmony, you know, but it's intentional. Um, 
like there's unregulated chaos, which is where we all need to be cognizant of, of, are we drifting down that road? We've all been down that road a little bit, you know, or a lot or whatever, but, uh, self-assessments, you know, to maintain that forward. But I mean, I think anyone who's going in to be a police, a fireman or military is, you know, not signing up to, to fly a desk and they want to go to the desert and they want to go to the fire, you know, no one's going to a fire because it's a, a gas, uh, fireplace in your back patio, you know, they're going there cause there's some fun and chaos we're going to have. So I think it's okay to be healthy and say, yeah, I'm going to go to that shit show and it's going to be our party, you know? Yeah, there's that fine line though of then allowing everything else to become a, a, a chaotic shit show in your life. And, and that's that, that's that reckoning with what you're seeing that, that dealing with, with some of the traumas and, and then trying to find the healthy way to live your, your life outside of the fire department. I, uh, I think I'm doing that better. Um, and I think I'm always going to be learning how to, I'm going to stumble, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to learn from that. You know, it's when you, when you don't learn from it, but again, taking some risks to en enjoy life or try life, you know, getting out of the, the safe Harbor, you know, if I, um, and just maybe just think of this, but an old friend offered me a job, um, learning, uh, mentoring to be a plumber. And in this conversation, um, it didn't really excite me or interest me too much, but he goes, uh, I can teach you a skill and I promise you won't have a stress disorder when you're 45. And I just laughed at that because, you know, our level of emergency and his level of emergency is a little different, but still emergency. Yeah. And that's a great way of putting it is I, I can teach you a great skill and, and you can make a great income, but you're not going to get a stress disorder. That's, that's perfect. That's, <laughs> we all need that. I mean, I think we all need that touch in our life. Uh, so where are you today? How, how are things today? I know you've, you've just got, you're going to start the part-time gig. Um, other than that, how are things? I think it, I think things are pretty good. I'm set myself in the right direction to have all the little parts I want. Um, I, I get to work out a couple of days a week. I work, you know, four or five days a week. Um, sanely, um, you know, if I was at the ER and you, you know, you're want to sleep in or whatever, my, my one boss, he's pretty cool. He's like, come in when you want, I can use the help, but if you need to get an hour of sleep, you know, take it and then come in. Um, I'm learning things. I'm there's stuff on the horizon. So I'm excited about life. Um, I'm excited for the opportunities of starting. I think the 16th is my first day with that fire department, which 
I, uh, and this is kind of, you know, is this train, but the day I had the interview for that job, when I lived in Virginia, I would wake up for work just before 4 a.m. I woke up, I had an interview at 9 a.m., but I woke up at just before 4 a.m. on my own that day. And like my body knew the fire service was creeping in on me. I'm like, well, that's, that's a sign, you know? Yeah. Fire service is calling. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I got a couple old cars I work on. Um, it's winter time. So, but my goal this winter is to get myself in a house. So I have space to do my hobbies. Um, yeah, I have time to see my friends and do stuff like that. Um, you know, there's a little bit more that I want, you know, but I'm, I'm pretty happy where I'm coming from and what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about the, la the last couple of questions and I'm not going to go into depth about why I call the show what I call it. Cause I do it quite often. Um, but I do like to, as, as you know, cause I know you listen to the show. I, I like to ask everybody about an everyday care. So what's something that you carry on your person every day that you, if you leave home without your, you feel naked. I, uh, I thought about this cause you do ask it, but, um, I would say music. Music is, and I never leave home without it. If I, even if I forgot my cell phone, like I'm whistling, I'm humming music. I, whatever, whatever I might think of, it might, you know, I guess that song stuck in my head all day. And I have, you know, all of my friends with me, you know, all the time as far as musicians, uh, but whether I'm in my house, a garage, a gym, even in the ER, you know, if I have the time, I might play music in my pocket or, you know, whistling. They're like, oh, what song's that? You know, but music has been a part of my life and I was raised that way. I was going to concerts when I was eight years old with my family. Um, music was always the friend that was always there, you know, and that. I go to concerts all the time. I go to a concert with you and, you know, you're the same way, but you know. Yeah. Actually the first concert we ever saw quote unquote together was completely by accident. And it was up in Winchester, Virginia. And it was a, I believe it was a Sarah Shook concert that night up there. Um, and it, and kind of steamrolled from there because we found out that we had very similar tastes in music and, and a desire to see live music. And so we've, we've been quite a few. And, and I think one of the funniest stories I've ever I've ever experienced was with you at a concert in, in Virginia. And, and I don't know if you want to tell that story or not, where you, uh, you stumbled into the wrong bathroom at one point. <laughs> stumbled. You don't remember that up in Vienna at, at, uh, I forgot what show it was. It was, damn it. I forget, but we were up there and, and you, you, uh, you disappeared and you went to the bathroom and you came back and we, we watched the opener and then the intermission came and, and I got up to take a piss and. I, I walked by you as you were walking into the men's room. And then when you came back from, from taking a piss at intermission, you go, yeah, I definitely took a shit in the women's room. <laughs> and somehow you got in there and you used the bathroom without getting caught by the women because, because <laughs> you were in there and you, yeah. And you didn't realize it until the intermission when you actually used the men's restroom to take a piss. I thought that was, that's one of the funniest stories I, I remember from, from going to shows, but, um, yeah, so 
yeah, music, I definitely think that's something. I know that's something you take with you every, everywhere you go. Matter of fact, you texted me to say you're going to be a little late because you got pulled over, but you had to tell me exactly what song was on <laughs> when, when you got pulled over. So that was perfect. All right, what about a book? What do you have for me? Um, it, uh, I, re I read this a while ago. I got to look up the name, but um, I don't know if you've talked about the book before, but a buddy of mine, you know, Travis Howe, um, his book, um, I got it when we, he had a symposium. Yeah. Create your own light. Yeah. Um, and I got it, I read it and I got it autographed for my, uh, for my best friend in Ohio. He's a firefighter too, but, um, he has been turned on to him. And lately I heard, uh, that him and his wife are going to go to Columbus to see them. He's never seen them. Okay. Um, but the fact that that book or it, it just introducing Travis to my friend, um, is going to help someone who has a healthy, great relationship marriage, but they're going to go build a better relationship right? because of, they want to go experience that together. And I thought that was pretty damn cool. So, you know, to continue pushing mental health and what you're here doing um you know one thank you for doing it and thank you for having me too but um yeah i i would say that book because currently in life it's making some impact for some people so is there anything on that note card of yours that, that we didn't touch on <laughs> we loosely talked about it but trying to trying to just you know having a marriage or a relationship that's not something you can go pick up at Target, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's something, one of the parts of life that I, intangibles that I hope that comes along, but that's, you can kind of work on that a little bit, but, you know, that's the only part that I don't think we really, but that's not that. So any, any other words of wisdom before we sign off of this and, and go, I don't know, go find something to eat? <laughs> yeah my stomach's growling um the the thing i just learned the most in life is it and talk to the people you trust but um a good friend of mine said this to me years ago is sometimes you just need to talk to someone and say something and put it out in the universe it may not be meant for you you may be the listener but get it off your chest and, you know, make it something different so you can deal with it. But talking is the biggest thing through all this is don't keep it bottled up because it's not going to help anybody, you know, so find your outlet and I'm lucky to have some outlets, you know, but some people don't even know how to start talking, but just start talking. It, and I think that's exactly how I ended up with a, a mic in my hand and, and, and having almost a hundred of these episodes and these stories of people I've met along the way. So it's just, it was just a matter of deciding that we need to start talking. And if I'm going to quote unquote, force a conversation with other people, then we'll force a conversation with other people and make sure that everyone else knows that they're not alone. And I think that's exactly it. Just put it out there. Cool. Well, I appreciate the time, man. Let's uh, let's go find, I don't know, let's go find a hamburger. Sounds good. All right, we're out.
Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.